Welcome to the Lifelinks Podcast, a platform to amplify Latina voices, to validate their story, and engage the comunidad worldwide. I'm your host, Consuelo Crosby, and also creator of this content. If you would like to chat about what you've heard here today, then reach out to me through our website at thelinks.com. That's L-N-X-X. Or through our Instagram profile at Lifelinks. I'd love to listen and engage in whatever you have to say. Hola, chicas. Welcome to episode 68 of the Lifelinks podcast. I'm Consuelo Crosby, your host, bringing you the journeys of Latinas who have lived the first gen vida, the difficult birthright that brings a lot of struggle but ultimately hilarity and success. I'm so grateful to have you join us this week to listen to Rosa Revuelta, founder of Rosa Revuelta Consulting Company that provides one-on-one leadership coaching for first-gen BIPOC leaders and a leadership development group program for organizations who want to invest in their internal talent and support their leaders of color. Before we bring her on, I just want to check in with you and see how you did through the Thanksgiving holiday. Hopefully there was no drama at the table and you all got to gather with friends and family and enjoy a moment of gratitude for each other, for what we had in front of us and what has yet to come. If you're watching our social media, you'll see that I was in the South. Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina, almost Kentucky. Reveling in the civil ceremony wedding of my daughter. Did you like my blue velvet suit? Oh yeah, I tell you, it's starting to all come to the surface. And that car, oh my Lord. Okay, you can still see it on my personal Instagram profile at Consuelo ends in O. I'm sure you appreciate where that came from. And as we round out the end of the year, Rosa is going to lead us on a path towards ourselves. For once, as she describes it, for once it is about us. And I'm really excited to put this in place today, consider it through the end of the year, and start next year with the mindset that for the first time, let's choose ourselves. And with that, welcome, Rosa. So happy and grateful to have you here on this episode. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. As much as we have a global audience, I do appreciate having guests that are in the local vicinity that we might have the opportunity to meet in person one day. We haven't yet met, but there's definitely a possibility. So I hope that comes around. I agree. You're like less than an hour away from me, so I can't wait to meet you in person. So... Let's start off with you sharing a little bit about how your family came to the U.S. and what it was like for you growing up. So both my parents, when they first came to the U.S., they came separately. Um, My dad was like, in a way, a part of the Bracero program. So he came different times um, throughout his life. Most of the time he came undocumented. Actually, all of the time he came undocumented. And my mom... Her coming to the U.S. was actually her way of leaving a very unhealthy household. 
my grandfather, unfortunately, has always been a pretty like violent mm-hmm. and aggressive person. And so coming to the U.S., I always thought was just her way of helping her family. But now I recently found out it was also her way of getting away, uh, getting an opportunity to like have a different yeah. future for herself. At one point, both of my parents went back to their hometown in Michoacan, in the state of Michoacan, in a little town called Aguililla. They both went back and they met. And my father invited my mom to come back to the U.S. Oh. with him. And she said, now if we don't get married. <laughs> Good move, mom. And so after three months of knowing each other, they got oh. married. And they came to the U.S. Both came at that point undocumented. And just wanting to, like, have an opportunity and a better life. I am the oldest of five, so I was born in California. So was my sister right after. And then they went back to Mexico. We lived there for a few years. So my age one to five, I lived in Mexico. Two siblings were born in Mexico, and then we came back to the U.S. And then my little brother was born here. So that's how we ended up finally... Um, when I was five, settling and staying in California. And mostly because my parents really have this desire for us to have an education. And um, they wanted me and the rest of my siblings to have an opportunity to have a permanent place to learn. And they decided that they wanted to be in the U.S. Okay. So it's back and forth and back and forth. That yeah. makes for an interesting family dynamic. Do you ever talk about it within your siblings about if it affects a cultural identity or not? You know, we haven't really like talked about it. When I was in college, I did this project called Historia de mi Madre, um, where I interviewed a few mothers, actually two mothers, where they talked out around the kitchen table about their experience of migration. Because if we look at migration stories throughout history, we mostly hear men's stories of migration. We don't always hear our mothers or women's stories And that was really the first time we had really heard most of her story. The thing that we've talked about in terms of my mother's story and the impact on us has been how we wouldn't have the lives that we have now if they hadn't taken that risk. We would be completely different people. We'd have completely different lives. They come from a super small town in Mexico um, with very little like access to a lot of things. And now with a lot of violence oh, no. um, because of the cartels, oh, no. we know we would have completely different lives if they hadn't made the decision to come to the U.S. It is a greatly understated courage and bravery, the immigrant story. It's not a joyride. Yeah. It's not taking advantage of anything. And... When you position it to other people, you leave everything you know behind, including your family and friends and home and even careers to come and start over in a place you don't know and a language you don't know and a system can't immediately understand. It's powerful. It takes a certain person to make that journey. I think we sometimes forget the bravery Mm -hmm. that it takes the risk that it takes, uh, the just having to like do it scared because I know that it wasn't an easy decision for them to make. I mean, for them, they never left their hometown, let alone crossed to a whole other mm-hmm. country and not knowing what was going to be on the other side. We're not always having somebody there. Like thankfully, both of my parents uh, had somebody that they oh. knew in the U.S. 
But still, they had to navigate these new systems, Mm -hmm. just like they didn't know the language. They didn't always know like all the laws. They didn't always know what kind of services were available to them, what kind of support there was. They really had to rely on the support of other individuals who had also migrated to the U.S. to help them navigate these systems when they first came. And the last time, they're coming with five children. And they uh, didn't... um, have any child care for us. So what they did is they looked for jobs where one could take the day shift and one could take oh, the night my. shift. So my mom took all the night shifts so she could stay with us during the day and my dad worked during the day. So my mom, I have to give it up for, to her because I don't know how she did it. She's definitely somebody who sacrificed so much in her life, um, especially for her children. She would work at night and then sleep very little. Like I don't even think during those years as she got eight hours of sleep at any given time. Wow. I find that that love, it's not universal. We know this. It's not a blanket statement, but the Latina families and culture are so dedicated to children, unless a personality is not. But I think the culture in and of itself mm-hmm. is so dedicated. They sacrifice so much for the well-being of the children. I recently learned like my mom didn't have an opportunity to get an education and I thought it was just because she lived at a ranch. Um, but it was actually because my grandfather believes that women shouldn't have an education. Oh gosh. And so he didn't allow her to get an education. And so she didn't have that opportunity. And she told me the story of how she had to go into town because she had to have surgery. She broke her leg or something like that. And so she had to have surgery and stay in the hospital for a while. She actually would sneak out with a friend uh, from the hospital to go to school. Oh my God. That's what she did. That's like, she was making all the rules to go to school. Oh my gosh. Now at this age, like I'm learning why they were so adamant that we had to have an education. Like they wanted us to get as much education as we wanted to get more than they ever had. Education was first. Like my mom did not make us do chores. We did have chores and things that we did at the house, but education came first. Like your homework comes first and going to school comes first. And that was pushed on us like throughout my whole like childhood. So I would say like that had such a big impact on me because I did like know that college was not a option. It was an expectation. Like it was expected. Oh, okay. Okay. So both personally because your parents saw the detriment in not having access to the education, but also culturally because they want to encourage the children to actually be successful here, make that risk worthwhile. And you are very highly educated. I have a bachelor's in social work. Like I did that because I knew I wanted to work with people and help people. And then I got my um, master's in Mexican-American studies, like oh, Chicano nice. studies. I actually was going to get a master's in social work. It was in filling me and my heart and my desire. So I went to this program instead, the Mexican-American studies, because I was state. And I loved it. Like It connected me so much more to my community and more to the reality of what happens to all of us. I've worked in nonprofit for most of my career. So I ended up getting a, a second master's in nonprofit administration uh, just because I realized I wasn't advancing at the level that I wanted to, that I felt I should be. And 
I thought getting a master's in the nonprofit mm-hmm. administration would help me um, be able to just like level up a little bit, be able to have access potentially to show that I was leadership potential. So it's a mix on the education at this point where you're doing it first out of, yes, I'm going to college. It's expected I go to college and then bringing your own personal passion into it, making that decision for Chicano studies. And that is valuable. That is what's necessary to understand the heritage because you're right. It's myopic when we're being raised Mm -hmm. in it, but we don't even understand why our parents are doing what their parents are doing because we don't know where it comes from. We're not being raised in the culture of which it comes from. It's so out of context. And then another master is to feel that you can present yourself as potential for your career advancement. What's your opinion about the high education of Latinas? Because like there is an expectation that's familial, maybe cultural, And then also societal, not maybe feeling like you can leverage up. What do you think? I definitely think it's a combination of everything that you're mentioning. We've seen how much our parents have struggled. Um, it, that it's very difficult for them to be able to um, like make it. And my parents had opportunities too. Like they started their own business that helped oh. them a lot. But they still um, struggled for most of my childhood. Um, and we saw people in our communities struggle. And so, mm-hmm. especially like as Baija Mayor, like the eldest daughter, um, there's this expectation and this pressure that's put on us to like do better. Like, cause you know, our families have taken these mm-hmm. risks. Our parents took these risks to be able to come to us for, for us to have better opportunities. And so we need to take advantage of them. It's expected that we're going to take advantage of it. And I think it's like a mix. Yeah. <laughs> what other example to give? You know, it provides us with this drive and this um, motivation to do more. It is something that we also, in a way, like have control over how much education we have. Um, but I'd say at the core of it is just having that support from our parents to do it and also that drive, that push, because we have to do it because they've sacrificed so much. If we don't, like, in a way, that's where the pressure comes in. They did all of this for what if we don't do it? That is both a very honorable and respectful experience. As you say, it's the daughters, because the men are free Mm -hmm. to do what they want and encouraged to make money. In my opinion, I really find that the women, the daughters carry the burden of carrying the culture of being ally Mm -hmm. and advocate for the parents and for honoring and respecting that journey that they did. Then it's our turn (laughs) after, after all those things are met, then it's about us, but it may never happen at the same time. I think that is again, um, especially a first gen, that is a tough identity option. Like who do you choose? Do I do what I want or do I do what they need? That's tricky. Yeah, I think that's so real. That's definitely my experience. And I know they experience a lot of other Christian that I know. So when you're, you say your parents had their own business. Did you, did you work mm-hmm. in the business as a child? 
my first job was not at my parents' restaurant, but I worked at my parents. My parents had a restaurant uh, while here in the Bay Area for 24 years. I would say I did every job at the restaurant from the bus person, waitress for a long time. Um, I worked in the kitchen. I washed dishes. I did accounting stuff. Um, I did books. I did everything. And since I was, I would say, 11 until the day that they closed in 2019. So for those 24 years. Wow. And all this time while you're being very successful at school in order to get so highly educated. That is taking on a lot, especially as an 11 year old on app. That's congratulations for even surviving it, but really being so successful with it. Do you think that your time helping your parents gave you that leadership skill to begin with that you were after in your master's? Um, Yeah, I definitely believe that that had a lot to do with it. Um, The first thing I would say uh, I have really good customer service <laughs> skills because I've been writing customer service for a long time. I learned how to regulate my emotions when working with people, uh, working at the restaurant. Also, like how to work with colleagues, how to train other people. So all this is snowballing and growing to your epiphany of starting your own business, it sounds like. Yeah. But I knew I wanted something different. And I think the older Mm. that I got, the more I realized, you know, I love the work that I do in nonprofit. I love helping people. Um, But I realized I needed something like different and something of my own. So last year, I actually had my son. He's now like 15 months old. Congratulations. And it was like something just switched inside of me because I couldn't imagine going back to work the way that I was working because I would say another like blessing and curse of being the eldest daughter of immigrant parents is I learned that in order to be able to be successful, I had to work hard and I had to work really hard. And so I put in so many hours like into my, the work that I did in nonprofit, I'd work there was a point um, in one job I was starting at eight and I was coming home at 10 oh, o'clock at night. No. Like I was just working so much. Um, and even when I tried to have healthier habits, like it still was not that healthy. You know, like I was still, especially during the pandemic, I was still working. I had nothing else to do. So I would work a lot, a lot of hours, um, part because I love what I did. But also just, I grew up like you have to, in order to prove yourself in the workplace, I had to work really hard. Congratulations with that. Starting your own business and carrying it on is epic. What is the focus of your business? My focus is on increasing the number of BIPOC leaders. And my goal is to help them be powerful and widely successful. Uh, there are not enough leaders of color in right. any of our industries. Um, it's drastically like a need and increase. And there are two big groups of people that are missing out. Our like, communities of color are missing out on the opportunity of being in leadership roles. And all of these companies and organizations are missing out on this talent. I have my program called Amplify that focuses on having organizations like uh, partner with me to bring me in and help them provide leadership development 
specifically for individuals of color um, so that they have like a safe space to be able to grow and develop. And these organizations can invest in their growth and development because often we hear they can't find people of color to or qualified people of color for these roles, but most of the time they're right there. They're in their organizations. Wow, that is a powerful advocacy you're doing. Like you say, everyone is right there. And like we've mentioned before, these are very highly educated people because it's the expectation it's the demand, it's the interest, it, mm-hmm. it's the intelligence. And yet there is still that visual bias. The other part of my business that I've been really oh, starting yeah. to grow to is like the one-on-one coaching mm. with first gen and like women of color who are leaders or like emerging mm-hmm. leaders. Uh, because I've also been finding that there is more than anything like a mindset mm-hmm. block that gets in the way of also us seeing Mm -hmm. ourselves in those roles Um, and all of these barriers that get in our way of like taking the leap and doing it. There's all these blocks outside Uh of us, all of these ceilings trying to get in the way of us being Uh leaders. Um, And then there's also blocks in us. We have control over what we do for ourselves. We might not always have control over these external things, but we do have control over our internal work. That's a necessary first step because going through your 20s and 30s, you don't see yourself yet because you're still extracting yourself from that battle, from that cultural identity battle, from the acceptance into society as your true person, step into your truth, ladies, You haven't had the time to really sit back and reflect on yourself. Well, what is real? Yeah, I think, um, especially as first gen, we tend to downplay Mm -hmm. all of our accomplishments, how great we are, because the things that we have done through our lives that are really like Mm -hmm. extraordinary, they're just normal life for us. Um, you are used to doing those things like advocating and navigating systems for most of your childhood and adulthood as you support your parents. That's just what you do. That's what's expected. But other people no. don't do that. Like that is uniquely something that you do and such a skill for the workplace. And so how do you reframe it inside of you and also reframe it for those people who are trying to hire you? Like, no, 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 I have this skill. Yes. And I also learned it on my own. I wasn't being taught or trained to do it. I had to figure it out on my own. Exactly. And you've been doing it for decades. So at that point, this isn't a school learning. This isn't a regurgitation of what you should do. There aren't enough businesses of what you're doing. Laura says is really powerful for individuals to approach you just for that validation. Because with that validation... And the sooner you can get the validation, ladies, the better. It just breaks down all those glass ceilings that we impose on ourselves. Having someone say, are you kidding? Look at what you've done. And you're like, I thought it was a big deal. Then it just gets laid to rest and you just never think about it again. It's like, that's right. (laughs) I'm amazing. I'm a badass chica. You know, I've been doing some work with a few clients and I think about one who was just thinking that they weren't enough. 
they just got hired for a new role and they're like, I don't know enough. I don't have enough skills. I'm not sure if I'm going to be good in this role. And uh, we just started talking about what she's done, what she brings to the table. Yeah. I was like, okay, I would hire you in a minute. <laughs> like you bring so much already. It's been part of our normal lives. Mm-hmm. Like we've just done these things mm-hmm. that we don't see how great they are. And so we don't even know how to bring it up as an asset because it's just like, I brushed my teeth. I yeah. also went and advocated with a doctor for my parents. Yes. Um, but, so it doesn't feel like more than brushing my teeth. Absolutely. That's so well said just in that segment. That is so well said because it's so innate. It has become your persona. It is mm-hmm. just you living life but it is such a powerful network of skill. Oh, I love it. So how do people access what you're offering? How do they reach out to you? Uh, So I tend to use LinkedIn a lot um, to connect with people. So definitely like if you look up Rosa Revuelta on LinkedIn, but I also have a website, rosarevuelta.com and people can schedule a consultation with me. Right now, like I've been offering a few free coaching sessions so I can get to know more the type of individuals that I want to work with. But also I offer the one-on-one coaching for leaders of color. And then I, uh, the Amplify program, like either one of those, both of them are on my website so people can get in contact with me that way. Oh, that's awesome. We will get that out there. Wow. So very accessible, very easy to contact, very easy to review what you do get more information from what we're talking about here. I love it. That's, ah, congratulations. That's so necessary. Oh, thank you. So we have talked heavily loaded about you and your drive, your intelligence, your compassion, your love of social justice and helping people, especially with that great poster behind you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But tell us now the other side of Rosa. What would people not expect of you? Something that people would not expect. I've talked about my business and the journey that I've gone through it and all of the positives, but how difficult it also has been for me. Doing this has shaken me up internally because I've had a lot of like these aha moments that I didn't realize there were obstacles I was creating for myself. Like you wouldn't know that I've been struggling in my development of my business to feel my own confidence, to feel that like this is something that I should be doing, that people are going to want to work with me, um, that I am enough. I don't always post about my own struggles like, oh, no, like, will people actually want to see me as like, um, a, like not an expert, but somebody who knows about all of these things and who they want to hire and work with. Oh, that is the struggle that you going through it personally can now go, okay, ladies, I know exactly. I am very empathetic to what you're going through because I experience it myself. So this is what it felt like for me. I know it must feel like this version for you. Let's talk about this. So coming Mm -hmm. from the true source, right? Yeah. In this new journey, it, it has really like rocked my ideas of me and has brought up all of these roadblocks that I've created for myself that I know I had oh. created for myself throughout my career. It's not 
that easy to just do it differently than what you have been modeled or what you've experienced to like go against mm. what people think you should be doing mm-hmm. and how you should be showing up mm-hmm. um, because people have a set of expectations of who we are as Latinas, how we mm-hmm. show up. Um, and even I think about like El Quediran, for example, like I had this fear for myself that what will people think? And it's like, okay, but this time it's not about everybody else. It's about me and what I want to do and yeah. how I want to serve my community. And so um, how do I like get over my shame, my vergüenza, and like do it sin vergüenza? Like, which <laughs> usually we're told like, oh, like no sea sin vergüenza, but no, let's be sin vergüenza. Like, let's do things for ourselves. So we, we want to do it instead of continuing to yeah. live by what other people think we should be doing. Oh, I love that. That's going to be the major quote coming out of this episode. <laughs> It's so powerful. It's so necessary. You don't even realize how much of yourself you really are leaving in the shadows. I didn't think I was assimilating, but boy, when you start letting go, it's like, oh, oh, wow. There's more to you that when you bring it out, you're burning people's eyebrows off. What do you have to act like that for? It's like, well, (laughs) this is really who I am. And we've lived so much of our lives for others, especially as the eldest daughter. We've lived all of our lives for other people. We have helped other people. I went into social work because I wanted to continue to help other people. (laughs) And to radically be able to say, this time it's about me and what I want to do. And I can still help people doing it, but now it's going to be on my own terms, the way that I want to do it. It does rock people. It does make them like, okay, What's up with you? Why are you acting right. this way? Or why are you choosing this? But for the first time, like no matter what we end up doing, let's choose ourselves. Let's choose to love ourselves fully. Yeah, put ourselves first and mm-hmm. what life we really want when we do that. When you reach that moment of it is about me and this is the life I want, does that help define how much energy was going out to people? In, in our mode of trying to help others and not coming back in? I think I've had this epiphany lately, like that, um, yes, I shouldn't expect that people mm-hmm. should help me, but I also shouldn't expect from myself that I'm just going to help everybody with nothing in return. We deserve to have our cups filled as well. And for so many years, we've kept emptying and emptying it. Yeah. Let's refill it because we deserve to also be helped. We deserve to be supported. I think one of the things that develops because we're of the eldest daughters um, and we are taking care of our siblings, we've taken care of our parents, is this hyper-independence. Absolutely. I love that term, hyper-independence. That is so on point. And then with that comes the struggle to trust and it's so hard for us to even accept help. But I, one of my friends, Boli, uh, she is so great. I love the way that she thinks because she was like, well, why don't we reframe it around how good it feels to help other people? And why don't we let other people have that good feeling of helping us? What would you tell the younger generation, the next generation? How do you create that community? I think that the first step is always awareness. We don't even always realize that 
sometimes we might not even be living the life that we want to live, that we've been living the life for someone else. We've been living the life because of what's expected of us. I'm also big on representation matters, so we don't always have yes. access to seeing that there's other opportunities or other ways of living than what we've been exposed to. One activity that I sometimes have clients do is like, okay, I want you to like really think back. You have that inner voice, that inner critic, and it sounds like you. Um, it has your voice, but um, whose voice is it really? Because often it's not us. Like it's things we've heard in like growing up, maybe from our parents yeah. or from other people. We might have workplace trauma and it's things mm-hmm. we've heard from like unhealthy and toxic leaderships or coworkers. Mm-hmm. So those are the origins of that inner critic. So figure out whose voice it really is, because most often like you can be kind to yourself and just have this voice from before who telling you. Oh, yes. Oh, you have such powerful statements. As part of that representation, do you bring that culture out into your workplace, into society so, uh, unashamedly, like you say? I always like unintentionally seeked out people who look like me. Um, and so even at, like when I talk about representation matter, I always think about like people who are just one step ahead of you. So most of the people that I connected with were around the same step as me. Um, like I always want to look for that person one or five steps ahead of me. And that was a little harder to find. But throughout my career, my culture, my customs, my costumbres have always been right next to me. I bring them with me and they've always been a part of how I show up at work. I do think that like this generation has a few opportunities that we didn't have. That tends to be the cycle that we go through. You know, my mother's generation had different, my grandmother's had different and so forth. But I'm excited that this new generation and the generations to come they get a few of these obstacles knocked out of their way. But I also think there's so much power in us being able to like identify who we are because for so long it can feel isolating or it has it felt isolating, mm-hmm. at least for me growing up. Like, okay, yeah, I'm the only one. Like this is my experience. Mm-hmm. But now I see this huge desire to just be around each other as first gen, to be able to learn from each other, to find community in each other. This represents who I am and my experience. And so it helps us feel less isolated. It helps us mm-hmm. feel like there's other people who understand us because now there's a term. Now there's a way that we can identify like, and our identity is so important as we like grow and develop, like we don't have an understanding of our identity. It can be difficult to be able to know where do we belong? Um, how do I grow and develop as a person? Yeah. And that first gen life, I call it first gen vida. You share so much commonality mm-hmm. with all these immense differentials in personalities but you share so much and then again the validation and the acceptance and you feel safe i can bring this up and i will be understood because everyone's going to experience it it's so interesting to me like how that happens because i can talk to somebody who grew up in a different generation than me but who's first gen who grew up in a whole completely different other part of the country, but it's first gen. And we can 
connect as people around similar stories and experiences. This whole experience for me is exactly what you are creating as a business. Um, this was my epiphany because you don't know what's not quite right and how different you really are. Like you say, you start stripping off those onion layers mm -hmm. and you realize like, oh, wow, that was a very protective coat of just maneuvering through, even in your own style, even in your own language, your own way of enjoying life. But getting to that point of knowing that, okay, I am a fish out of water. And I, I think for me, it just became stratospherically enormous when my mom died. When my mom died, I realized, oh, wow, I was relying on her. I was relying on her and her group of friends to feel part of the community and without realizing it, I thought oh, I was doing a great job on my own. When she passed, I was like, oh, it was like fish out of the water. And doing this podcast has become finding my ocean. Mm -hmm. And in this podcast with these beautiful women and what we talk about, this is my ocean and I feel totally at home. It's like, oh, I want that for everyone every Latina out there that feels that isolation, that disconnect, that we create that community through here, not stopping here, but learning of all the other women out there that are embracing arms wide open. Yes, come here. Let's be part of this. Let's do these amazing things together. I, I think we're onto something. <laughs> I think so too. And we need it. Like, yes, because no I one's been looking out for us. Yeah. And what you feel is something I know a lot of other um, Latinas, a lot of other people in our community feel because when we, when our families come to the U.S., we do lose community, even if we had some here. And so then with, we have losses, there is still the desire in us to find our community, to mm -hmm. be in community with each other. You have already at a very young age come with this huge full life that you've been living for decades. Flash forward if you can and think if you walk through a portal and you had no idea what was going to be on the other side, what are you hoping would be on the other side for you? Um, gosh, I think I would be hoping that there's balance, like actual balance um, on the other side and I picture that balance looking like me spending a significant amount of my day and my life my years like just enjoying my time with my son that that is first and foremost that when I think of what I'm spending my day doing like I'm spending it with him and Exploring places, exposing him to things like our cultura, our culture, but the world in general. And that hand in hand is me really flourishing in my business. That I have been able to see the impact of working with these great BIPOC leaders in our community, that they're thriving and growing, that they do feel powerful, that they are successful on their own terms. And I had a little bit to do with helping them get there so that my community is stronger and better because I was able to work with them. Ah, uh, that's going to happen. 
you put it out to the universe just now, it will happen. Yeah, that's powerful. I love it. Beautiful. We're coming to the table. We have a seat at the table and we're adding to it. Yes. That is the way to look. We are not wiping anything out, taking anything away. We are bringing what is inherently us to the table and you're going to love it. I love that. <laughs> now right? that's a great quote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Rosa. This has been a joy. I just really appreciate your stories. Congratulations again on starting this new business that is so necessary and will be successful. And we really want that wish of yours out to the universe to come true. All the information on how to contact Rosa and learn more about the Rosa Revuelta Consulting Company will be in our show notes. That is with every episode on the podcast platforms that you're listening on right now. The information will also be on our website at thelinks.com, that's L-N-X, in the transcript and the article synopsis that we provide for all our guests. In that article and the show notes, there will be information on how to contact Rosa on her LinkedIn profile and also to discover more about her consulting company on her website, rosaroyvuelta.com. It's always a joy to have you here. And next week, we're kicking off December and the holiday season, the season of giving, by highlighting our past guests, companies, and products, and what they had to offer. Whether we gift it to ourselves, because we are coming first, or for others, because we genuinely have that kind and giving heart, these women have exactly what you need because they have lived the first gen vida. Step into your truth, ladies. Ciao. Really appreciate the time we take to rate and review the podcast. Get the backstory and what you've heard here today and reach out to us at thelinks.com. That's L-N-X. Because it's about time, it's about us. Stay in the groove on our social media at Lifelinks and get ready to make your move, ladies. Viva! Viva!